From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Wade is in the starting blocks ready to go. If you'd like to be on the program, give us a call at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one 205 2712985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 12052712985 and you can always send us an email that email address is openline at ewtn.com I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall producing the program your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts so if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Tuesday, our very favorite father of mercy, Father Wade Menezes. How are you? I'm doing great, Jack. After having been on the road, uh, our listeners will know that uh, last Tuesday was a mailbag pre-record, of course, because I was in Palm Coast, Florida at the wonderful parish there, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, and just a fantastic crowd each night and each morning for the parish mission. We did an abbreviated morning session as well. And then this past weekend, I was in Kansas for Divine Mercy Radio's two dinners. And uh, something very, very nice just happened now, just before the show. Uh, my sister called me to come. She was going to come do a holy hour here at the Fathers of Mercy. She's, she's in our chapel right now with oh. our daily Eucharistic adoration. And I asked her to pray for the show today. And a shout out to her, uh, my sister Susie, to, uh, the day after tomorrow, the 15th of September, is her birthday. That's our Lady of Sorrows. Mm -hmm. And uh, that closes the little octave of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which began on Our Lady's Nativity on September 8th. I've talked about the two small Marian octaves uh, before on the show. September 8th, the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin, and then it ends on September 15th, Our Lady of Sorrows. And of course, the day before the 15th, tomorrow, the 14th, is the Feast of the Triumph of the Cross. And so we see kind of the two bookends of Our Blessed Mother's office within her divine maternity as the Mother of God, the second person of the Trinity incarnate. Uh, it begins with her own birth from her mother's womb, St. Anne, and then it culminates uh, and ends, if you will, with her standing at the foot of the cross uh, while her son dies for us. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful octave. The other small Marian octave is the August 15th through August 22nd, the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin and her coronation on the 15th and 22nd of August, respectively, uh, precisely because she's been assumed body and soul into heaven, we now crown her. And that was just less than a month ago that we celebrated that little octave. So a uh, shout out to my sister on her birthday, and I thank her for her Eucharistic adoration this hour. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. You're going to talk about the uh, the sacrament of reconciliation and the benefits of confession. And you know, the, the you know I, I have a great love for all of the sacraments, but um, in particular, I have found that I have, every time I have ever availed myself of the sacrament, I have gotten what I needed. 
Uh, if I was feeling beat up by my own sin and was feeling a little, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, beaten down and, and, and not fearful, but, but not exactly racing to the sacrament, uh, I've always had a very pastoral approach given back to me, it seems like. And sometimes right. when maybe I'm a little bit uh, higher on my horse than I ought to be, I've had some sterner words that have come from the other side of the screen. And uh, it's, it's, it never ceases to amaze me that, that exactly what I need in that moment, our Lord seems to provide. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and we can say that this uh, Deus Providebit, uh, Latin for God will provide, as you just described so beautifully, uh, Jack, providing for the soul, uh, he, uh, he, he gives us what we can call as a list of being uh, nine chief benefits of confession, and who brought these really to the fore for us in the life of the Church and in her sacramentology was uh, both Pope Pius Twelfth and Pope St. Paul VI. Pius XII, he defended the practice of frequent confession, even of venial sins. He says, by it, the practice of frequent confession, self-knowledge is increased, Christian humility grows, bad habits are corrected, spiritual neglect and tepidity are resisted, the conscience is purified, the will is strengthened, a salutary self-control is attained in daily living, and grace is increased in virtue of the sacrament of penance itself. And then Pope Paul VI echoed all that. He says that in, uh, uh, in the sacrament of penance, he says, there is great, great value of frequent and reverent recourse to this sacrament of confession, even when only venial sins are in question. He says, this practice is a constant effort to bring to perfection the grace of what? Our baptism. Because baptism wipes away not only original sin, but also any actual or personal or or another way of saying that is mortal or venial sin. Well, so does the sacrament of penance. It also wipes away all actual sin or personal sin or mortal or venial sin. So it reawakens the reality of that grace received in baptism, when baptism not only did that, but baptism also wiped away the original sin. So uh, in, in my book, uh, Overcoming the Evil Within, uh, the reality of sin and the transforming power of God's grace and mercy. I'm holding it up right now uh, to the screen for our live YouTube feed and, and Facebook feed. Um, chapter 3 uh, is titled The Sacrament of Penance and Reconciliation. And uh, in that chapter, I, I kind of give a, a, a fleshing out, if you will, of these nine chief benefits, and I'll, I'll read through those now, and if we don't finish them up, Jack, we can finish them up when we come back from our first break. But first of all, uh, spiritual tepidity is resisted. Let's say you, you do indeed carry out such spiritual practices, uh, but only infrequently, like the, the rosary uh, now and again, or maybe the Divine Mercy Chapel, or fasting, or whatever. Uh, in other words, you, you carry them out in a tepid or lukewarm manner. Well, the graces from a frequent confession can help ignite a renewed spiritual fervor that will help make uh, one's daily spiritual life grow stronger and more committed every day to carry out uh, with more f uh, fervency these spiritual practices that you're already doing, but only more infrequently, right? Uh, Self-knowledge is increased, uh, Pope Pius XII taught us. Um, many saints make clear in their writings and teaching that self-knowledge is needed to grow in holiness, uh, most notably St. Thomas Aquinas. You need to have good self-knowledge to grow in holiness. Know your virtues to advance them, know your vices to begin to uproot them. And this means knowing and admitting your virtues so that you can advance them in your life, and, and knowing and admitting your 
vices so you can uproot them out of your life, right? Uh, number two, Christian humility grows. Christian humility grows. Humility is the moral virtue that keeps a person from reaching beyond himself, St. Thomas teaches. Uh, it is the virtue that restrains the unruly desire for personal greatness and leads people to an orderly love of themselves based on a true appreciation of their position with respect to God and their neighbors. Uh, not only does the practice of frequent confession help us to grow in humility, uh, the median virtue found halfway between both pride and self-loathing, but the very act of making a good examination of conscience required before even stepping into the confessional, Jack, is a humbling experience. And of course, we know the, the wonderful examination of conscience that the Fathers of Mercy provide at our website, fathersofmercy.com, ready to print off as a PDF document. And, and the examination of conscience also helps us to grow precisely in self-knowledge, you know, and so that's a, that's a, a true benefit as well. Uh, bad habits are corrected. L number three, little by little, uh, through frequent confession and honesty with one's confessor who will offer advice accordingly, uh, bad habits can be overcome. Uh, frequent, worthy reception of the sacrament of confession means frequent graces received from that sacrament for those bad habits. Uh, spiritual neglect is resisted. Let's say one is struggling to establish, again, the practice of praying the daily rosary or the daily chaplet of divine mercy, or even just making a morning offering upon rising each day. Uh, one's failures to practice these devotions would be examples of, of spiritual neglects, what the, what the older uh, spiritual classics call spiritual neglects, uh, that cause your spiritual life to suffer. Well, frequent confession can help you get back on track, like a jump start, right? Especially if you're confessing assigns these spiritual practices to you as a penance, and so you begin to carry them out more faithfully on your own, even daily, beyond the, the fulfilling of your, of your penance from the confessor. And to echo what I said at the beginning, thus uh, spiritual tepidity is resisted, right? Let's say you do indeed carry out such spiritual practices, but only infrequently. In other words, you carry them out, but only in a, in a tepid or lukewarm fashion or manner. Uh, the graces from frequent confession can help ignite a renewed spiritual fervor that will help make one's daily spiritual life grow stronger and more committed each day. And, and conscience is purified is the next one. Uh, confession of one's sins brings with it a purification and import, more importantly, really, uh, a great, great peace of conscience, a very soft pillow at night, I like to call it. Uh, this is tied to the healing aspect of confession. Uh, indeed, confession is one of, of two healing sacraments, along with the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. And we'll finish up this great list of the nine chief benefits of confession when we come back from our break. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, we got a great new book at EWTN's Religious Catalog, False Mercy, Recent Heresies, Distorting Catholic Truth. 
Uh, we, I don't have to tell you that we've had all kinds of confusion abounding as rebels of the faith, even some princes of the church, have spread their beliefs as facts of the faith and in the process have caught unsuspecting believers in the undertow, causing them to ask, has the Catholic faith changed? In this masterful book, Christopher Malloy identifies more than a dozen heresies and errors of this new modernism and what nearly all of them have in common, and he dismantles each of the heresies, showing how they evolved, where they appeared, and best of all, he shows us how to counteract them and prepare fellow Catholics boldly to declare the faith in its entirety, all while refusing to be seduced by those who undermine that obligation. It's available at EWTN's Religious Catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. They're offering free standard shipping of online orders of $75 or more. That's standard shipping in the continental United States only. Use code FREE at checkout. Wide open phone lines for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. And we're talking about the nine benefits of the sacrament of confession. And uh, carry on, Father Wade. Yeah, we had, we'd ended with consciences purified, uh, that confession of one's sins brings with it a purification, and more importantly, a peace, a, a real peace of conscience. And this is tied to the healing aspect of confession, and indeed, confession is one of the two sacraments of healing, along with uh, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. You know, we have the three sacraments of initiation, uh, baptism, confirmation, and Holy Eucharist, Uh, the two sacraments of mission, or the two sacraments of vocation, also known as the two sacraments uh, of union, and that's matrimony and holy orders. And and then we have the two sacraments of healing, uh, anointing of the sick and confession. So it would make sense that the conscience is purified and a great peace comes with that purification of conscience. Uh, the next point from Pius Twelfth and echoed by Paul VI is that the will is strengthened. Huh? Uh, whereas our intellect is what helps us to know, our will is what helps us to choose based on a properly ordered love. And through the practice of frequent confession, Jack, our, our wills become strengthened, Um, to help us more frequently choose good over evil, to pursue more frequently the good, the true, and the beautiful, uh, to choose virtue over vice and the beneficial over the malicious, or the betterment, uh, if you will, over the detriment. Uh, Next is uh, a salutary self-control is achieved. Uh, Only you can control you. Right? That's, that's from St. Augustine. Only you can control you. Frequent confession makes us simply want to do better in all aspects of our daily living. It's the grace of the sacrament that propels us to control our lives better by practicing an ordinate love towards persons, places, and things, and not an inordinate love or a disordered love toward persons, places, and things. And then lastly, number nine, grace is increased in virtue of the sacrament itself. Uh, Every sacrament, when it is received worthily, Jack, uh, increases sanctifying grace in the soul. We know this. For Eucharist and confession, the only two sacraments that can be received both repetitiously and frequently, uh, this is especially true. In fact, the sacrament of confession can even help to perfect the grace of our baptism, as I opened up with uh, this springboard topic, that fact. Uh, This is because baptism, while wiping away the original sin we inherit from our first parents, 
also wipes away any personal sin, also called actual sin, uh, we might have. That is to say, any mortal or venial sin that's been committed personally or actually. Uh, confession always helps rid us of personal sin. We should add, though, that going to confession out of scrupulosity is not helpful to the penitent, nor is it the intention of the sacrament or of Holy Mother Church for the sacrament. Scrupulosity is seeing sin where there is no sin at all, but rather, say, a, a simple fault, or, for example, as well, seeing mortal sin when in reality it's a venial sin. So indeed, scruples can stunt one's growth in the spiritual life. So, so don't be your own savior. Let Jesus Christ be your savior and help you to use the sacrament of penance faithfully and worthily. Worthily, I think, is important there. And uh, uh, if one thing I think, too, worth mentioning is that, and I've said this before in Open Line, show me a person who goes to confession faithfully once a month, say 12 times a year, uh, say in honor of the first Friday devotion to the Sacred Heart or the first Saturday devotion to the Immaculate Heart. Chances are, chances are they won't have mortal sin to confess. It, it's precisely the practice of monthly confession per se that is helping keep that person away from mortal sin. And chances are their confessions will only be venial sins. Uh, so it's just a beautiful sacrament. Remember, they're the only two sacraments, confession and Eucharist, that can be received over and over and over again with much frequency. The other five cannot. Uh, three more of the other five can only be received once, baptism, confirmation, and holy orders. And the last two of the remaining five can be received again, but it wouldn't be with a lot of frequency. Uh, the sacrament of matrimony, right? For example, Jack, you received it again. That's right. Uh, with Johnette, uh, and then the anointing of the sick can be received again, but it wouldn't be with a lot of frequency. But Eucharist and confession can be received both repetitiously and frequently. If any of our our callers uh, want to give a witness today about what confession has done to them for them in their life. Uh, in helping them advance in the spiritual life. We would love to hear from them. We're not asking for confessions, per se, over the air, but we are asking for a witness about the beautiful sacrament of confession, also called the sacrament of penance, also called the sacrament of conversion, and a few other titles in the Universal Catechism. So give us a call if you want to give a witness about confession. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. First up today is Lisa, a first-time listener in the great state of Missouri, listening on Catholic Radio Network. Lisa, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm honored that I get to be the first one on my first call. <laughs> oh, great. Thank what you, can we do? What can we do for you? Okay, I am considered what they call a cradle Catholic from birth. And I didn't make my sacrament of confession until, God, I think I was in my 40s. And I'm glad I waited that long because of the fact that I think I understood better what I was doing and why I was doing. And I understand the sacraments are so very important. Um, I don't attend church every Sunday like everybody claims to. I can't tell you what the prayers are and recite them, but I'm kind of confused as to why they are so important, you know, and why the Catholic Church says you need to do the Eucharist, you need to go to confession, you need to do this, but yet I read the Bible, can't tell you Bible chapters, verses, but I can tell you stories, and I remember how Jesus said, 
go to your father, go to a room by yourself, shut the door, talk to your father as if you talk to your, your, you know, whoever you confess to or whatever. Confess all your sins to him. I have a very strong face, and I get really emotional because I feel like he is here with me. And I just don't understand why it's so important when we follow the words of Jesus. Okay, well, well, thank you for your series of questions there, Lisa. We really appreciate it. Um, first of all, as far as going to the inner room and, and praying to your Father and even confessing to your Father, that's fine for venial sins, um, but for mortal sins, confession is required. Confession remains the ordinary channel for mortal sins to be forgiven. Now, there are extraordinary channels for mortal sin to be forgiven. For example, if a person is in a car accident and they're put in ICU with all kinds of apparatus on them and so forth, and they cannot make an auricular vocal confession. Um, In that case, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, uh, along in that case with the last rites, probably because of the ICU scenario, the person could be near death. In that case, um, the anointing of the sick doubles as confession. So that's an extraordinary way that mortal sins are forgiven. But the ordinary channel that mortal sins are forgiven uh, is through the sacrament of penance. Now, venial sins are forgiven through various channels. Number one, confession is one of them. I just ended my springboard topic saying that if a person goes to confession faithfully once a month, chances are they will only have venial sins to confess. So that's one way that venial sins are forgiven. Another way that venial sins are forgiven are through the penitential rite at Mass and reception of Holy Communion at Mass. Um, the whole purpose of a penitential rite at the beginning of Mass is to wipe away venial sin so that we, when we come up to Holy Communion, we, we won't even have venial sin on our soul. And if you have mortal sin in your soul at, at, at Mass, it would be understood that you wouldn't come up to receive Holy Communion because you don't want to receive a sacrilegious communion. Uh, another way that venial sins are forgiven, for example, are the three eminent good works, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and doing any combination of those with the intention of having your venial sins forgiven. And and those works, quote-unquote, those works, uh, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, we don't do them for the sake of works themselves, we do them for the charity they prosper, both in our own lives and in the lives of others that we serve. The same thing with another channel that forgives venial sins, any combination thereof of the 14 works of mercy. Uh, seven for the body, traditionally called the corporal works of mercy, seven for the soul, traditionally called the um, the spiritual works of mercy. So any combination of theirs. So my point is, is that venial sins do not need uh, the sacrament of penance. So yes, going to your room and praying in quiet and making a perfect act of contrition uh, is a beautiful way to have your venial sins forgiven. This is why, for example, a staple practice in Catholic spirituality is doing two examinations of conscience each day, uh, the particular examine done around midday and the general examine done at the end of the day. And at the end of both of those examinations of conscience, we close with an act of contrition. Uh, again, to wipe away any venial sin that might be in our soul. So the particular examine, we're looking at a particular virtue we're trying to advance, or a particular vice we're trying to uproot, and to see how we did so far, thus that day, up till that point, right? Um, And then secondly, the general examine at the end of the day, before you hit the pillow at night uh, to go to sleep, we want to look at our whole day generally, right? Uh, To see how we did with all virtues, all vices, and we close with an act of contrition. Now, one thing I want to 
say to you, because you may not be aware of this, and, and you might be in sincere uh, lack of knowledge about this, because of, of how you've been raised in your Catholic faith, not practicing it faithfully and regularly, uh, but somewhat lukewarmly, is that every Sunday is a holy day of obligation. And uh, barring a good reason for missing Mass, for example, like illness, or you got a flat tire on the way to Mass, etc., uh, barring a good reason to miss Sunday Mass is a mortal sin. What is a mortal sin? A mortal sin has three elements present. It's grave matter. Number two, it's done with fullness of knowledge that it's grave matter. And number three, it's done with deliberate consent of one's will. Okay, grave matter, fullness of knowledge, and done with deliberate consent of one's will. If any one or two of those three things is missing, you have a venial sin. But all three, uh, you have a mortal sin. And we'll finish this up when we come back from our break. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. A couple of lines open for you and plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We're talking to Lisa in the great state of Missouri. Yeah, and I just wanted to finish up by saying, you know, Lisa, it sounds like you're really being tugged and very strongly uh, towards the spiritual life, a stronger spiritual life than you are already uh, living. And just think what regular worthy reception of the Eucharist could do for you. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, you said at the beginning you are indeed a Catholic, you just haven't practiced the faith regularly throughout your life because of this circumstance or that circumstance, but that you do go again, now and again, and you're learning more about the sacraments. Um, I don't know if you're yet confirmed, if you've received the Sacrament of Confirmation, but if you have not yet received the Sacrament of Confirmation, I would strongly urge you to join your local parish's RCIA program, that's the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults. That way you could receive the Sacrament of Confirmation confirmation, and thus have all three sacraments of initiation. Because from your opening opening comments, it sounds like you are technically a baptized Catholic, thus you probably received First Holy Communion um, and First Confession around age seven, and but you may or may not have received confirmation as a young adult in this country, usually received between eighth grade and tenth grade, sophomore in high school. So if you haven't received confirmation, that's something you might want to do. But, you know, you want to be fed by regular Eucharist and regular confession precisely to grow in the spiritual life. These are the only two sacraments, as I said earlier this hour, um, that can be received over and over again. Why? Because these are the two sacraments that sustain us in our daily vocation and walk in life, our journey through life, whether single or married or a consecrated priest, brother or sister, you know, whether a, a homeschooling mother of six, whether a divorced dad of three striving to live a chaste life, a, a doctor, a farmer, a lawyer, a retired grandparent, a working grandparent, a recently widowed grandparent, or a grandparent who just celebrated their 68th wedding anniversary with their spouse who's still living. Um, 
It doesn't matter, regardless of our vocation and state in life. These two sacraments feed us. And this is why Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, deems through her magisterial teachings uh, to receive Eucharist and, and confession worthily and regularly. And the time-honored tradition for confession is once a month, especially in this day and age, this third millennium culture. And I'm not anti-culture. I love the culture. I, one thing I say frequently in my, in my preaching of my parish missions is, as Catholics, we love the culture so much so we want to sanctify it and make it holy. That's what we want to do. We want to give the truth of the gospel to the culture. That's how much we love the culture. We don't shut in or shut down on the culture. Uh, so, but given the forces against moral truths that are out in the culture today, uh, we do really need to prepare ourselves to be the soldiers of Christ that confirmation calls us to be. Uh, and you know, Lisa, the, the Second Vatican Council's decree on the missionary activity of the church reads this in paragraph number 23, quote, Quote, every disciple of Christ is responsible in his or her own measure for the spread of the faith. What a beautiful quote. Every disciple of Christ is responsible in his or her own measure for the spread of the faith. And then uh, the Second Vatican Council's decree on the apostolate of the laity. So this document now was written just specifically for laity. Paragraph number three states, quote, Upon all Christians rests the noble obligation of working to bring all people throughout the world to hear and accept the divine message of salvation. Upon all Christians rests the noble obligation of working to bring all people throughout the world to hear and accept the divine message of salvation, each one according to his or her, his or her own state in life and what they're able to do. So Lisa, I would really encourage you to get back to Sunday Mass and to get back to practicing monthly confession. And at your next confession, tell the priest that through a sincere ignorance, surely not through malice, but through a sincere ignorance, you didn't realize the importance of the Church's teaching on Sunday mass attendance, barring a, a significant or, or good valid reason, of course, as I said earlier. But tell the confessor you weren't aware of, of the Sunday obligation to attend mass and that uh, through a sincere ignorance, you missed many Sunday masses, but now you're, you're hoping to get back on track with that. Um, and, and you want to confess any known mortal sins and uh, venial sins while you're in the confessional, even though there are other ways that venial sins can surely be forgiven. So thank you, uh, Lisa, for just a fantastic witness call. Uh, we answered uh, your, your multifaceted questions there that I'm sure will help many, many listeners today on Open Line Tuesday. God bless you, Lisa. Take care now. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Please keep all of our friends in Amarillo in your prayers. This week, St. Valentine Radio in Amarillo is airing their annual Radiothon. And if you're listening in Amarillo or Castro County or anywhere, uh, please support your local Catholic radio station. And Father Wade, you wanted to uh, dial in and clarify uh, a little bit about fasting from a couple weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago when we were live, as, as we know, last week was a mailbag show that was pre-recorded. But the week before that, when I was live, um, I, I said something about fasting and abstinence that might have been confusing to individuals because I got two inquiries about it. I, I could have also misspoken. Um, and so I want to just set it clear so we all know we're all on the same page. In regards to fasting and abstinence, uh, we want to look at, at two things. We want to look at the, the fast that's required before Holy Communion, number one. And then number two, we want to look at the fast and abstinence that's required on both Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, and the abstinence that's required on the Fridays of Lent. Okay, so first of all, regarding 
um, the, the Eucharistic fast. Um, the current teaching of the Church w- were introduced by Pope Paul VI on November 21st, 1964, in the reform of the, of the liturgy, and are found in Canon 919 of the Code of Canon Law. And there's three points there in, in the Code of Canon Law number 919. Number one, a person who is to receive the Most Holy Eucharist is to abstain for at least one hour before Holy Communion from any food or drink except for only water and medicine. So a one-hour fast uh, before reception of Holy Communion. It's not one hour before Mass begins, although that would be a great practice to do. That way you're ensuring absolutely that you've uh, fasted one hour, but it, it's one hour before reception of Holy Communion. Number two of Canon 919 says this, a priest who celebrates the Most Holy Eucharist two or three times on the same day, any day of the week, can take something in food before the second or third celebration of Mass, even if there is less than one hour between those Masses. And that makes sense, because he's a working man, and he might need to keep his energy up, so he'll be receiving the Eucharist at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, which, through the transubstantiation, uh, that he confected in the Eucharist, um, and so he's able to receive within the one hour. And then thirdly, the final point of Canon 919, the elderly, the infirm, and those who care for them. How about that? The elderly, the infirm, and those who care for them can receive the Most Holy Eucharist even if they have eaten something within the preceding hour. So not only the elderly and the infirm, but those who care for them. So that's about Holy Communion per se, okay? Those three points from Canon 919. Now I want to talk about how, uh, about what Ash Wednesday and Good Friday require, and also regarding abstinence, not fasting, but abstinence from meat on the other Fridays of Lent. Listen to this. For members of the Latin Church, the norms on fasting are obligatory from the age of 18 until age 59. When fasting, a person is permitted to eat one full meal as well as two smaller meals that together do not equal the one full meal. The norms concerning abstinence from meat are binding upon members of the Latin Catholic Church from age 14 onwards. So fasting is for age 18 to 59, and we fast on both Good Friday and Ash Wednesday. And then we abstain also on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, and that's meant for 14 on up. Um, Notice there's no cap-off age for the abstinence. And then the other Fridays of Lent are also days of abstinence, but technically speaking, not of fasting, okay? So uh, there you have it. Uh, Just a little clarification on those two separate categories of fasting, the Eucharistic fast before Mass, and then the fast and abstinence required for the Fridays of Lent and also on Ash Wednesday. Next up is Jay, a first-time caller in the great state of Pennsylvania, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Jay, you're on with Father Wade. Yes, hi, Father Wade. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you, Jay. Uh, yeah, I, I had a question. As a, as a Protestant who is a born-again believer, um, is it, um, how, how do you see that? Uh, for Protestants, where the um, act of confession is more uh, within your personal prayer, and it's not obviously one of the routines that we follow in the Protestant denomination. Um, And yet, um, I would say most Protestants who are sincere about their faith uh, do feel that confessing their sins, you know, in their personal prayers 
uh, and sometimes, you know, in small groups and things like that, mm-hmm. um, is an appropriate way of, you know, fulfilling that sacrament, if you will. Uh, could you could you comment on that? Sure, sure. So, the Catholic Church teaches that God never binds from us or never bounds us to give to Him any more than we are able to give. So, what your Protestant faith teaches is what you are bound to. You're, you're bound to no more than that. However, the Catholic faith also teaches that it possesses the fullness of the faith, the fullness of the truth. And we have seven sacraments, and most Protestant denominations will have one to three, depending on what denomination it is. Uh, and, and the sacrament of penance or confession is not one of those one to three sacraments. You are correct about that. Our Protestant brethren do not see confession as a sacrament. Um, but we do. We have seven sacraments. Again, three sacraments of initiation. What's initiation mean? It means it makes you fully, fully a member of the Catholic faith. You cannot be any fully a member once you have these three sacraments of, quote, end quote, initiation. You're fully initiated into the faith. Baptism, confirmation, and Holy Eucharist. Uh, Two sacraments of healing, confession and anointing of the sick, whenever one begins to be in danger of death because of sickness or old age. And then the two sacraments of mission or vocation, also known as the two sacraments of union, which serve the populaces of the entire world, and that is matrimony and holy orders. So for us, we believe in the sacrament of penance that God desires mediation. And we see this time and again in the Old Testament with Moses and Noah and all the, uh, the Old Testament prophets, both major and minor. God desires mediation between himself and his people. Well, Jesus Christ is the chief mediator, the God-man himself, the second person of the Most Holy Trinity made incarnate. And he established a church, and he also established a priesthood within that church. So in the carrying out of the sacrament of penance, when the priest says the words of absolution, and I absolve you from your sins. That I there, that first person singular I, I absolve you from your sins, is not the priest himself saying that, I, Father Wade Menezes, absolve you. No, he's speaking in persona Christi, Latin for in the person of Christ. He's he's speaking in that first person singular in persona Christi capitis, Latin for in the person of Christ, the head, the head of the church, his bride, which he founded, which we know by her four marks, one holy Catholic, Catholic and Apostolic. So to answer your question directly would be that you're only bound as a Protestant to do what you know you're bound to do according to the dictates of your faith. God would never ask you more of that because you're, you're sincerely ignorant of anything beyond that. However, once the truth has been made known to you, then you have an obligation to at least research the truth to see if you can discover more about the truth. And so, for example, your, your, your heart is tugged by the sacrament of penance, and, and you are right in that as a Protestant you can't receive it. The only way a Protestant can receive the sacrament of penance is in a case of in danger of death, if at the time of death they profess everything to be true that the Catholic Church holds to be true, then the priests administering uh, the sacraments at the Protestant's time of death can bring that Protestant into the Catholic Church church at that time. So uh, your your baptism, presuming the, bra- the Protestant baptism would be valid, because some Protestant baptisms are not valid. Some Protestant baptisms are done not in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, but through other 
quasi formulas or formularies like in the name of the creator, the redeemer, and the sanctifier, uh, or the God of the North, the God of the South, the East, and the West. I mean, the, the, the church would never accept those kinds of wordings of baptism. The baptism would be invalid. But if a Protestant has an authentic Trinitarian baptism in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, either through immersion or sprinkling during the naming of the three divine names of the persons of the Trinity, then the Catholic Church accepts as fully valid that Protestant baptism. And in that case, at the moment of death, then the Protestant would receive the Eucharist and would, re- would make a confession and would receive the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, along with the other elements of the, the last rites, namely um, the prayers of commendation of the dying, which includes the litany of the saints prayed over you, and also the apostolic pardon. Uh, and then you would have received confession, Eucharist, and the anointing of the sick. That's the five elements that constitute the last rites. Uh, but only in that case can a Protestant receive confession. Um, And so, but yes, you are bound only to do what you know you're bound to do in the particular uh, 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 rites of your own Protestant faith or in the particular traditions of your own Protestant faith. But remember, God calls us to the fullness of truth. He calls us to the fullness of truth. And the Second Vatican Council teaches that the Catholic faith has the fullness of truth, and our Protestant brothers and sisters in their respective ecclesial communities do possess, no doubt, elements of the truth, but not the fullness of the truth. For example, they've separated themselves from the apostolic succession, and, and the four marks of the Church are is that she's one holy, Catholic, and apostolic. I can trace my sacrament of holy orders to a bishop who can trace his ordination to a bishop who can trace his ordination to a bishop and so forth and so on, all the way back to the original Twelve Apostles uh, and the early Church Fathers. Um, So we believe that. Now, we also believe, though, as Catholics, that our Protestant brothers and sisters possess elements of the truth as ecclesial communities. So, for example, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters believe in, in a trinity, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Baptist brothers and sisters believe in baptism and, and in the name of the Trinities, and so on. So they possess elements of the truth, our Protestant brothers and sisters, but not the fullness of the truth. Great question, Ajay. Thank you so much, and, and hopefully it served as a, as a um, uh, witness question to other listeners who are not Catholic, listening to the show today on Open Line Tuesday. And Jay, I invite you to look more at the Catholic faith, to answer your questions more about the seven sacraments, especially confession. Uh, And a great start would simply be the Universal Catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, There's a great section in the Universal Catechism of the Catholic Church uh, on each one of the seven sacraments that explains it in detail. So uh, God bless you now. Take care. Um, it's Tuesday night. That means Mother Angelica Live Classics tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Tonight, Mother explains that despite the fears in the world today, we should always rely on our Lord and His providence. As Catholics, there is no use for fear. That's Mother Angelica Live Classics tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio and Television. Next stop is Firestone, Colorado. Josh is listening on the Catholic Radio Network. Josh, you're on with Father Wade. Hello. Um, so I heard you uh, speaking about venial sins versus mortal sins, and I suppose I'm a Protestant. I don't really know. I just believe in the Bible and whatnot. So what I was taught is that Jesus Christ is sinless. He is the Son of God, you know, part of the Trinity and all that jazz. 
and I was taught that he is the only one that can truly forgive sins because he is sinless, whereas everybody else in the Bible and you and I, every human is a sinner. We are full of sin. So my question to you is, how is it possible, and why is it required for me to confess my sins to a priest? And if I do not, will I go to hell? Okay, well, as a Protestant, you're not required to confess your sins to a priest. As I answered uh, Jay just in the previous question, you're only—God never asks of us more than what we're able to give, and uh, you're bound to your particular faith of what your faith requires, okay? Um, but, but God wants the individual to have the fullness of truth, and this is why it's good to uh, explain these truths of the Catholic faith to others uh, who possess elements of the truth, but not the fullness of the truth, okay? So that, that's the first thing. So you're, you're not required to confess your sins to a priest. As far as your other aspect of your question, Josh, and, and which is just as, as great as your first part of your question, how can anybody but Jesus uh, forgive sins? I answered that as well with Jay. Maybe you didn't hear the previous caller, but um, God desires mediation, and we see this time and again throughout the Old Testament with all the prophets, both major and minor, from Noah to Moses to Isaiah to Elijah, Habakkuk, all the major and minor prophets. He requires mediation between himself and his people. And so in the New Covenant dispensation, Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the old law, but to bring it to perfection. He established his church, which we know by her four marks, one holy Catholic, meaning universal, and apostolic. He established a church with seven sacraments. One of those sacraments is the sacrament of, the, of, of confession, the forgiveness of sins. And uh, his ministers who are ordained through the apostolic succession, which is again tied to one of the four marks, apostolic, his ministers act in his stead. So as I said to Jay, the previous caller, when the priest says, and I absolve you, at the end of confession, I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father, etc., in the name of the Trinity, and he lists all three names. That I there is not the priest himself referring to himself. It's, it's the priest speaking in persona Christi, uh, in the person of Christ, or in persona Christi capiti. So you're right. No, you're absolutely right, Josh. No one can forgive sins except Jesus Christ. Well, but he's chosen the venue for that to happen. The venue that that is to happen now that he's no longer walking on earth uh, since his uh, ascension into heaven 40 days after his resurrection from the dead. The venue that does that in his stead is his bride, the church, which we know by her four marks. And she does it through her ministers who are ordained in the line of apostolic succession. Um, and then as far as uh, sin being mortal versus venial, venial versus mortal, you know, 1 John 5, verse 17 makes it very clear there is sin that is deadly and sin that is not deadly. St. John does in his first letter, chapter 5, verse 17. And this is the scripture passage that Holy Mother Church takes as validating her teaching on mortal versus venial sin. You know, there is an objective difference, for example, Josh, between a, a seven-year-old who's standing behind his mother in the checkout line at, at the convenience store while mom's paying for her items and, and the gas that she just put in the vehicle, the seven-year-old takes a pack of, of gum without mommy looking and without the clerk at the convenience store looking and pockets it, uh, versus the 22-year-old uh, who purposefully, knowingly 
goes and gets an abortion knowing that abortion is an intrinsic evil. Well, there is sin that is deadly and sin that is not deadly. The good news is, is both for the seven-year-old and the 22-year-old, there is the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. That's the great news. And it functions through Jesus Christ, who is indeed the only one who can forgive sins. But remember Matthew 16, 18, he gives his bride, the church, the authority when he says, I tell you, Peter, you are rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will never prevail against her. What you bind on earth, Peter, shall be bound in heaven. And what you loose on earth, Peter, shall be loosed in heaven. It's unfathomable that God himself, in his second divine personage incarnate, gives to a human element uh, his stead of acting in his authority. It's unfathomable, but the church is protected um, through her magisterial teachings, uh, from the Latin word magister, which means teacher. Uh, you know, this is why St. Irenaeus said, Josh, where there is the church, there is Jesus Christ. And where there is Jesus Christ, there is the church. And so, yeah, you're right. You're not required to have your sins forgiven by a priest because you're not a Catholic, but yet God desires you to have the fullness of truth. So I would encourage you to want to be a student of your faith, to look even deeper into your faith, into its own origins, and see where it broke off from, etc. And the second thing is that, yes, indeed, Jesus Christ is the only one that can forgive sins. And we see that in the beautiful words of absolution, when the priest uh, imparts the absolution to the penitent in the first person singular, not meaning himself, but meaning Jesus Christ. Great, great series of questions, Josh. Thank you so much. And, and might I re uh, uh, ask that if you didn't hear Jay, who came just before you, uh, go back and listen uh, on the podcast to, to Jay, who came just before you, where, where these same qu t questions were answered in a little bit more detail. But hopefully that will help you out, and thank you so much for your call today. Father Wade, in just a couple minutes we have left here, Jennifer is in Oklahoma, and she wants to know if individuals who are lecturing have to be confirmed. She's planning a children's liturgy. Uh, a lector installed, I believe, does need to be confirmed, but a lector uh, deputed to be a lector for a few times does not have to be confirmed. But uh, that's a great question. I'll have to check on that first part. Do, does a, a, a regularly, because uh, there, there are instituted lectors, okay, just like there's instituted acolytes, and laymen and laywomen can be officially instituted into those two offices of the church. I believe to be officially instituted, which is one-time institution and you're in, uh, as either uh, lector or acolyte, yes, you have to be confirmed. But to be deputed for one or two masses, like let's say you're the eighth grade teacher at the Catholic school and you're not confirmed, but you're Catholic, but you're not confirmed, but the, the priest has asked you to be the lector at this particular children's mass this month. He can depute you to be the lector, and in that case, you would not have to be confirmed. Great question. Thank you. Where can they find more about the Fathers of Mercy? At fathersofmercy.com. And would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener, Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch. Until we get together then, God bless.